podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about discernment regarding spiritual sources. I am really thankful to be with my good friend and fellow brother pastor, Dr. Kevin Carson, today. Uh, Kevin is the pastor at Sunrise Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. And he's also a professor of biblical counseling at Baptist Bible College in uh, Springfield, Missouri. And um, just a dear friend, your brother, and it's always good to be with you, Kevin. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Oh, it's my joy to be here. So this is a really interesting question. Uh, we live in a day and age of podcasts and blogs, all sorts of information all over the Internet, and, and Christians today are more consumed with information probably than any other time in church history. Uh, and, and yet this is an important conversation to have. So as a pastor, why do you think it's important that we talk about the need for spiritual discernment regarding the spiritual sources of information that we're, that we're listening to? That's a great question. Let me... It's kind of set it up in three contexts. I just yesterday was having lunch with a group of young adults and these college students, one of them seemed particularly, particularly down. And I said to this particular girl, I said, Hey, so what's, what's up today? And she said, well, I'm just really struggling. And she brought up an issue and she said, in this issue, I've, I've listened to people that I trust or people that I think I should trust on both sides of this issue. And I'm not sure what to believe because they have opposite positions. And so she was discouraged. And so I was trying to give her the larger landscape of, well, let's think through how does that fit uh, your theology. Uh, Through COVID, I think with the various times when people have been at home and they've been laid off work or, again, young adults uh, just a little bit lazier than normal, not as much to do. And so as they're out, as they're home and they're watching and listening and looking all over the Internet, I think it's produced opportunities, especially in times when they've been engaged with those who deconstruct their faith or have really questioned the Bible and the authority of the Bible. I think it's produced a lot of extra questions uh, for those kinds of people as well. I think the the broad sense of, so how do we help someone who isn't quite sure where to go? Even a book recently had a, a lady she, through our life groups, uh, she mentioned something to her mentor. Her mentor called me and said, hey, do you know this author? Are you aware of what she's reading? Is there anything I should do to be able to help her? Right? It's that sense of, so this is published, and there's publishing houses everywhere. You can self-publish. right? You can find a book on any position, I think. Uh, there's podcasts. There are blogs. You and I both do those things. But yet the question is, what can be trusted, what can't be? Yeah, and you know, for those of you that are listening that are biblical counselors, obviously we're always trying to grow and learn how to better counsel people. So discerning, you know, reliable sources is really important. But just, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians in general need to be discerning about these things. So and thankfully, you know, we stand on the word of God. Scripture does not leave us without counsel on how we exercise discernment. So maybe we can start just by thinking about uh places in the Bible that might warn us about the wrong sort of sources. Um, can you help us sure. think about how we how we avoid those those questionable sources? Well, I've recently been in Luke, and in Luke chapter twenty, I think there's a fascinating couple of stories. They happen all all together, and so the Pharisees are questioning Jesus's authority, 
And Jesus has specifically uh, just told the parable of the vine dresser and applied it to them. And so they're angry at him. They're mad. And so they send in a couple of people into the disciples as spies. And so they're there. And and so they ask this question. And so just for the sake of looking at this text, let's put ourselves in the observer. So if we're one of the crowd on the outside watching these religious people, people who even say they're disciples, pretending to be at least, and as they talk to Jesus and the disciples, you have the first set, they're Pharisees, and they say so. Uh, they begin in verse 21, interesting enough, saying, Teacher, we know that you, what you say and teach, you do rightly, right? And you uh, do not show personal favoritism, but you treat, teach the way of God in truth. So they even start with, oh, well, we can trust God. We can trust you, right? You, of course, are telling the truth. Then they ask this question, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, if you're one of the people in the crowd, you're going to hear that question and say, now that's a good question. No one liked Rome. They hated Rome. They were ready for Rome to go. Jesus is this, uh, in some sense, a rebel rouser because they... They are hoping that things are going to change soon and that he's going to be the one they can follow. The triumphal entry was just a day or two before this. You put all that stuff together and they ask a question that sounds discerning, but yet Jesus understands that they're trying to trick him, right? He says he perceived their craftiness. Well, of course, Jesus perceived something that we don't always get to perceive. And so I think it's interesting. Again, if we're on the outside watching we would say, now that's a great question. They even said it with the context of, well, we know you, we can trust the Bible or we know we can trust you. And they asked it to the right person, but yet their heart was wicked. Right? They weren't. We would have not caught it had we been on the outside. But of course, the scripture tells us Jesus understood it. In the very next scene, you have the Sadducees. And so these Sadducees are also there and none of them really like Jesus. And so they're trying to push their narrative. Remember, they don't. Uh, my professor in college always said they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. Right. So they don't believe in the resurrection or angels. And so they're asking this question of Jesus. They said, well, now tell us, you know, Moses taught that uh, if a husband, if a husband dies and they don't have children, then the wife should marry the next brother so that she could have a child and that's going to both be able to keep their property and uh, help her in old age. Well, they tell the story of seven brothers and she marries all seven of them. They all die. She finally dies. And so they ask him the question, well, who's, uh, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Again, if we stick ourselves out here in the crowd, we would say, now that's a good question. I've never thought of that before. Man, these guys are really discerning. They are really deep. These people really know what they're talking about. And Jesus, of course, discerns that they're not asking the question out of honesty either. And so I think it's an interesting two stories. You have questions that actually sound insightful, but you have people asking them that aren't really honest with Jesus. They're not honest with the crowd. And whatever, if they were to give a conclusion, of course, that's not going to be an honest conclusion either. So, so maybe the takeaway is that we need to be careful 
when people affirm the truthfulness of the Bible, we're going to God for our answers, they ask good questions, they seem to be deep and significant in what they're asking, that that doesn't necessarily mean, hey, they're coming at this from the right direction and we need to take caution. Right. And I'm not saying that we distrust everyone, but yet we do need to be a Berean where we're actually going to the scriptures and we're listening, checking carefully. Jesus perceived their problem. And of course, with the Sadducees, if you knew their initial position, you would say, that's funny that they're even asking this. They don't even believe in the resurrection. But it's because they had this other uh, agenda different than just an honest search of truth and an honest sense of living the gospel. I think Luke ticks, ticks us off on that when he says, as a narrative comment, you know, the Sadducees who say there is no direct, no resurrection in verse 27. There's, right. He's trying to show, you know, the, the um, insincerity of what they're doing, right? So, okay, well, that's really helpful. So we need to be careful about uh, looking for reliable sources, exercising discernment, and this demonstrates that not everybody that sounds good and asks deep questions are necessarily coming at it uh, sincerely and, and looking really looking for truth. So... Let's turn it around and ask, well, what are some markers then of sources that would be reliable? The Bible's going to help us with that as well. So maybe point us to some passages that would help us uh, to determine reliable sources. That's great. I think there's a couple that come to mind, and I think you've asked a great question. Of course, in Hebrews, I think one of the key places is that we would start with our pastors. Right? God has clearly given them the authority uh to watch over our souls. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. And here's the reason. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. When you're online listening to any particular person, that person is not responsible for your soul. So they they have potentially an agenda. It may be to sell a book. It may be to sell a position of those that are deconstructing, it's to wreck your faith so that you can be as miserable as they, right? So they have these agendas, but none of them have the responsibility your pastor has. And a pastor that's, uh, right, in the country we'd say is worth his salt, right? So a pastor that is doing his job faithfully, that pastor is going to understand, I shepherd these people, as First Peter says, and and I'm responsible, and I do give an account, and so I'm going to be very careful. So I think as they read and engage people online, probably a quick question is to go by the pastor and say, hey, I've been reading this, thinking about it. Is there some stuff you can help me with? Is there? This is a question I have, but to at least start with the pastor. Yeah, that's good, because that passage indicates that, that God has given local pastors that authority, that jurisdiction to care for the flock among them there. But also, too, that that relationship is a part of it, too, right? The people see the pastor. They know the pastor. They have a relationship. The, the pastor has a relationship with his people. And, and in that relationship, too, there's some protection because they hopefully the, the congregation knows this man. They've seen him. They trust him. They can see what his life is like. And that's giving credibility, then, to the advice that he's giving, the counsel that he's giving. Sure. And, whereas you don't have that with just an online podcast voice or something like that. I think so. And I, two texts came to mind as you were saying that. I think, of course, in First Thessalonians 5, you know the people who work among you, right? So that you are watching, you are observing. And then uh, a text we often use in counseling is the Matthew 7 and Luke 6, 
where both of them talk about the tree and the kinds of fruit that they have. And a good tree will have good fruit and a bad tree will have bad fruit. Well, that also works when you're watching your pastor, right? Because you, you can watch, you are paying attention. Uh, I think, uh, Matthew 7:15 says to beware of false prophets, right? To pay attention, uh, and look out for those who may turn you aside. So I, I think the pastor is a great place to start. And God's given us those pastors. Again, Ephesians would say as a gift to the church to perform a major role. Um, and maybe that would be the second thing to think about would be the role of Ephesians 4. Right in the body of Christ, God allows us to grow together into Christ. And we do that when all of us are learning so Ephesians 4, the verse I'm talking about specifically, he says, be equipped. And 13, he says, till you come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son. So we're growing together toward unity of the faith. Right? So that it's a, it is a group project. I used to have a friend that always said, get in groups of one or less when he would tell us to do, uh, take quizzes or whatever. And that is not the Christian faith, right? We don't live faith on an island. We live it with a group of people. And that group of people, we learn and grow in the faith together from our pastor teacher again, which we kind of come full circle there. But what's interesting in verse 15, well, verse 14, the warning is that you would not be like children. Now, what do you mean like children? Well, that they are so gullible. Tossed to and fro, they're carried about with every wind of doctrine. So in the gullibility of a child, they have a hard time discerning what's actually true. And so verse 15 describes the opposite, but speak the truth and love to one another and you grow up into Christ, into your head. And so I think not only do we depend on our pastor, but I think that emphasizes the role of the body of Christ, speaking truth to each other, and as we play the, as we do our part, which verse 16 says, the whole body does its part. As we do those parts in individual conversations, it allows us to be able to identify potential voices outside the body of Christ who are saying stuff and teaching stuff that's going to potentially hurt us. Yeah, that's good. I think, you know, we're talking about ecclesiology, right? The doctrine mm-hmm. of the church. And, and one of the things I think that we, we learned through the COVID era is how important it is to be together, to be in community and how we don't do well spiritually or otherwise when sure. we're isolated and whatnot. And so the wisdom of this is spiritual discernment and reliable sources are, are, um, identified when we're thinking about godly leadership in the local church, growing in community and that those are God's uh, design wisdom, if you will, sure. to ensure a reliable source. Not, not that we, we can't be wrong, pastors can't be wrong, or congregations can't be wrong, but those, those are protections. Those, those are checks to ensure that as we're bouncing these things off of one another, we're, we're less likely to fall into error if that's happening in a community under the guise of godly pastors. Right, and, and I think, as you mentioned, it emphasizes the necessity of a local shepherd an online shepherd can never do what you need a local shepherd to do, right? Uh, this online community of faith, whatever that is, and any particular person's ministry, that can't replace the person that you can touch and feel and can 
pray with you and can listen to you, can answer your questions. And the reality is, sometimes there is a temptation to go to a national voice because that national voice is edited well. Uh, post-production helps, right? We've laughed about that before, right? So post-production, all the things that make someone look well. And when you go to your local church, you just get, you get Kevin, right? <laughs> Kevin will maybe never stack up with what these other people are doing all around the world and can do that with the flash. But don't confuse the flash for what truly is going to grow you. And that's your local church, your local pastor, and the people that are around you that God's put in that body. So if you're hearing this and you're thinking, these guys are talking about the local church. They're saying we need to be in a local church with a body of believers, with godly pastors in, in the community of faith, speaking the truth in love. If that's what you're thinking, then you're on to us. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. We are believers in the local church because that is God's vehicle. It's the only, of course, institution that, that Jesus says he will bless. And so we realize that that's the primary vehicle. And, and there's wisdom and protections and... and um, the one anothering ministries that happen there that, that are just irreplaceable. You know, we're thankful for, you know, some of our favorite heroes that are on the radio or podcast. Absolutely. Or books. We're thankful for that, but nothing can replace the local church like what you're saying. Yes. And a local church where the pastor actually cares about what people are listening to, thinking about and engaging with. Right. So it's not just enough to be in a local church. You need to be in a local church where your pastor's engaged, uh, or pastors or whatever in your ecclesiology, those people that are, that are living life with you, where they care the truth that's being shared or the non-truth, right? Whatever it is. I think that Colossians passage says, be very careful with the trickery of men. Colossians two in the seven, eight, nine range. And so we want to be very careful that our focus is Christ and the gospel and how that works out in everyday conversations and in everyday living. And that's going to matter at the belief system, right? Because Colossians 1, he says, so teach Christ. That's what we're teaching. But that's going to, but that will play out then in everything else that we do and how we engage the world and the authority of the world. So let's say there's someone who's listening to this and, and they're totally agreeing and they're looking at their church saying, man, I wish I had a pastor like that, but I don't have, I don't have a pastor I can go to. You know, he might be great at this, that, and the other thing. I'm in a church where I'm not seeing this level of one anothering, speaking the truth in love, the whole body growing. I feel like I'm, I'm isolated. I'm trying to do this all on my own. How would you counsel somebody in a position like that? I think it's, a, it's an interesting problem. Without knowing all of their story, it's hard to give clear, precise counsel. But I would say you start with seeking a relationship with your pastor. Start in your church, the one that you're not sure if your pastor even cares about those things or that you have the open door. I think the only way to know that is you start trying doors. You start knocking on them. So coffee, time with them, get a personal relationship so that those conversations can begin to happen. If it's done through the deacon ministry, if it's done through life groups or ABFs or Sunday schools, I think that you make the first step to seek to get those kinds of questions answered and asked to develop those kinds of relationships and to begin to look for accountability even in your local church. That would be my first recommendation. Um, right. There's 
depending on the church, there's many things we could say and many things they should look for, maybe warning signs. But sometimes we have a sense that, you know, my pastor uh, isn't doing that or isn't concerned about it. But in reality, if we were to be able to switch seats and put that person here, he may say he's very passionate about those things. Either he doesn't talk about it much or that door's not been opened yet for them to figure it out. That's good. Start with a conversation. You know, right. Go and ask and be, be a part of the solution there. So that's good. Well, I really appreciate the time, the conversation today. I think we live in the age where we need discernment now more than ever because we're just consumed with sources all around us. So I appreciate the warnings that you've shared with us from Scripture and, and the insights into how we can have you know, some reliability and confidence about the sources. Yeah, as pastors, I think we would both say it breaks our hearts where we know of individuals who have been drawn away. And we wish that a conversation would have started somewhere. We wish they would have talked to a member of the church, or we wish that they would have at least uh, come and, and asked so that we could try to help them. And I think that's a burden that we bear. Again, the Hebrews passage, we care for their souls, and we want uh, as much as possible to protect our sheep for the Lord. Amen to that. Absolutely. Well, we want to practice what we preach because you and I both have uh, blog ministries and, and other ministries and whatnot. But I think one of the things that, that you and I both believe in is that those are properly anchored in the local church. And, and certainly we're not above error or, or getting things wrong also. But, but anchoring our ministries in a local church is, is part of, I think, God's protection in that way. So I think so. And I, and prob- I know for you, it is for us as well. The first audience I write to is our church. So every time I sit down to write or, or do a podcast or whatever, I'm thinking about the people in our church and then the people in our community with technology. Of course, more people get to enjoy it. But I'm writing to those people who I'm both accountable to and accountable for. And so I think that is helpful. And same thing here with this podcast. This is based in, we sit in a local church and you're speaking to and training those people in your church. If you'd like to benefit from the pastoral ministry of Kevin Carson, I would encourage you to go to his website, kevincarson.com. And for more information about the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, you can visit us at thecdcd.org.